At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Special thanks, by the way, to Talkers Magazine, ranked us the fourth biggest show in the country. Talkers Mag- Magazine is really the Bible of radio and audio. Coming up on this show, Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for George W. Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Uh, we're going to look at the crumbling foreign policy of this administration and, of course, America. I have no interest in the midterms when it comes to foreign policy especially. And I'm going to run through some things with Mark that you're not going to believe that's taking place behind the scenes. And, of course, uh, the president of the United States made it clear today he's going to announce increasing aid to Ukraine. I like the way that sounds, and he's going to give us an update on how the war is going, as if we have to wait for a White House briefing. But maybe he'll take some questions and make this interesting. Although last time he tried to answer questions, a bunny whisked him away. I think it was Monday. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Disney chose to wade into this debate, these liberal elitists, instead of staying in their lane, which is what? Entertaining families, making a lot of money for their shareholders, but instead they decided to attack the state of Florida. Listen, Pam Bondi weighs in, used to be attorney general of Florida. It's Disney versus DeSantis. That's the matchup, but really it's the parents and the woke versus the spineless corporate America. I, I will um, uh, I will explain what this means. It's more than Disney in Florida. Number two. Weaknesses of the Russian military. One, they don't really fight at night. That's not their thing. They just send troops straight in in daylight. Second, when they are doing these assaults, they don't have a non-commissioned corps. They don't have sergeants. And even some of the shock troops that they've tried to use, they tried using Chechen forces in Mariupol. Well, I've watched several videos where you see these Chechen forces just get chewed up. Uh, that is Clint Watchwing and giving us detail about the fight in Ukraine. We don't see enough of actual fighting. Arming Ukraine before Russia can take the Donbass. That's the race on now in the war dominating the headlines as reality begins to sink inside Russia that the war of choice was an epic failure. Number one. You also have to keep in mind, CDC has had a series of bad hands. I mean, they lost in front of the Supreme Court on the mandate for large employers. This could end up adding to a rather poor record that they've already established in the courts. Yeah, on or off. The DOJ appealing the court's decision to take off the mask on all mass transportation. Hours after President Biden said it should be up to us, the American people, to make our own decision. Who was actually running the Oval Office? An AP poll says most of you want to leave your mask on. Really? A little surprised by that. So let's get started there. Many Americans say President Biden Biden, uh, was right when he said we have to make our own decision when it comes to our own health. 
That's where I thought we were heading. If you look at the polls, they see the fact that the pandemic helped him get into office when he told everybody, we've got to handle the virus, get it under control before we get back to life. He got a vaccine. He wanted everyone vaccinated. He told us by June it'll be fine. Famously, it wasn't. We get hit by another variant, didn't have enough tests. Uh, the vaccine was ineffective. They start demanding we get boosters. All hell breaks loose with schools. That's what we had under the Biden regime. More deaths under President Biden with the vaccine than Donald Trump, when we're still trying to figure out what China bestowed on us against our will. So you're two plus years later, and we still have to wear a mask on planes. A judge looked at this in Florida and said, no, enough with the planes, mass transportation. There's no science behind it. This is not a this is not a clause that this is not a power the CDC has to keep us in masks, even though the airlines are asking to take us off, take it off. They were being ignored. In fact, the extension was granted till May that makes us all wear masks. I flew yesterday. No mask. Felt great. Flew back. No mask. By the time I flew back, I flew out Tuesday, came back Wednesday. On Tuesday, half the plane was wearing masks anyway. On Wednesday, uh, there was about maybe five people wearing masks. And the people most so-called in danger, the flight attendants, nobody's wearing a mask. They want no part of it. So... The administration decides to talk to the CDC, and then they decide we're going to challenge this in court. Cut one. Well, the question, uh, the president was answering the question quite literally, which means right now, as you know, we are not implementing the mask mandate because of the court order, which we disagree with. While he is still abiding by CDC guidance, and we recommend Americans do that across the country, they're still recommending people wear masks on airplanes, on Air Force One, which of course is a federal, not a private plane. We all wore masks on the plane when we traveled to New Hampshire yesterday. And they still make them do that in uh, at LaGuardia in New York, in Boston, Philadelphia, San Francisco. They're making everyone still wear masks. Well, I was in LaGuardia yesterday. Nobody was enforcing, including the TSA. So that's good news. We want to make our own decision. You want to wear a shield and a mask and a N92? Listen, feel free. Do it. I wouldn't even look twice at you. Just leave me out of it. Now, this was stunning. And you got to weigh in on this. one 408 the AP did a poll. How do you feel about the mask mandate? 56% of Americans, they, they surveyed 1,500 people, favor keeping the mask mandate in place on planes and trains. 80% of that 56% are Democrats. 45% report support of the removal of the mask mandate, and they're Republicans. 33% want to keep it. So 33% of Republicans want to keep it, 80% of Democrats. I'm telling you right now, Republicans were done with the mask when President Trump was there. I guarantee you, we'll never know, but if there was a Republican president like Donald Trump and he was president right now, the Democrats would be saying, what a failed vaccine. I'm not wearing a mask. They don't work. So there's no authenticity in their reluctance to take it off. I think there's a psychology to it. I'm listening to people like Howard Stern and these hosts on The View saying, I I will not be around people in a closed environment like a plane. Meanwhile, they're using outside air to cycle it through. It's as safe as any place on the planet. Here's what the Department of Justice put out. Uh, In light of today's assessment by the CDC, that an order requiring masking the transportation corridor remains necessary to protect public health, the department has filed a notice on appeal and will go in front of another judge to try to get this reversed. Now, what court is that? It's going to be a district court that's known to be extremely conservative. What kind of ruling will that court give out? Well, that's going to be interesting. Harmeet Dillon, 
a attorney by, by profession, said this about the ruling. Cut five. When you have a sort of couple of paragraph justification for a sweeping rule that affects millions of people, mm. that's arbitrary and capricious under the Administrative Procedures Act. And so I don't see any way, Laura, and I asked my partner in, uh, in Florida about this, uh, and he said there's, he doesn't think there's any way that the 11th Circuit, which, as you said, is the second most conservative circuit, would ever uh, overturn this. I mean, even if they overturned two of the judges' rationales, well, a third one would still stand. So the White House has to clear up what the president said. The president came out and said, make your own decision. The White House, again, has to walk back that that, that statement because the president didn't even know about wasn't briefed on it, and his instincts are terrible, terrible as it relates to what the policy of his government is. Susan Rice or somebody else get in his ear, and next thing you know, the Justice Department is doing with the CDCS and suing for their right to keep us in masks. This is what's risky about it. So lawyers are saying that this is a risk because if you take this to court and the appeals court and the Supreme Court take this on and reject the CDC's power to do something like this, when they want to do something in the future, there'll be a precedent to say, don't, because you will fail. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You tell me, or you can write me BrianKilme.com. Just click on comments. You can tell me if are you with what they say the AP says the majority of the country want to keep your mask on. By the way, nothing's stopping you from keeping your mask on. Jonathan Turley, who's going to be a guest later on the Thursday show, cut three. They can seek an expedited review, which which one would expect they would if this was a public health emergency. Otherwise, they're on the same track as other cases. Look, there are good faith arguments on both sides as to how much discretion an agency like CDC should have. But you also have to keep in mind, CDC has had a series of bad hands. I mean, they lost in front of the Supreme Court on the mandate for large employers. They lost on the national moratorium on evictions. Those are all reviews where the court said, look, you exceeded your authority. So they're going back to the table and they're putting more money down. This could end up adding to a rather poor record that they've already established in the courts. Right. Uh, Poor record. But the blue states are still staying the course. Why would anyone stay in a blue state? Even if you want a mask on, they're taking away your ability to have a choice. New York, Philadelphia uh, and Boston in particular have said we're leaving the masks on. So it's going to be blue states, blue states. why don't you just mask up uh, forever? So uh, these other cities include Washington. Meanwhile, uh, Washington, D.C., to my surprise, chose to follow the federal government and rescind the orders along with the removal of the CDC order. It means you can go to Union Station and leave it off. For the record, I go to Long Island Railroad uh, three times a week maybe. I've never been told to put my mask on. I don't even during the middle of the pandemic. One, because I was usually in the car by myself at times, which was surreal, being at 5 p.m. in New York City, going out to Long Island, where you, if you're there, if you're there with maybe five minutes before the train's about to take off, you're standing for the next hour. So uh, this is where the rubber hits the road. People are going to be mad at the president or pleased with the president for locking us down. This is reminding everybody he locked us down. The other big story uh, that is taking place, and there's a lot of them, is uh, Disney, ver- uh, Disney versus DeSantis. Yesterday, the, the state Senate voted convincingly 
to revoke Disney's autonomy status in the state that allows them to have their own water, their own power, their own police force, uh, their own tax structure. They had this deal since 1967. But when Disney weighed in and said they'll do everything in their power to reverse these Children's Rights Act, the Parents' Rights Act that was just put out by Governor DeSantis, he said, okay, maybe we'll go and revoke your sovereignty status. Wilton Simpson is the Florida Senate president, and he was asked to take this up by the governor. And here's what they did. They voted to rescind it. Cut 19. We do not do payback in the state of Florida. We stand up for parental rights. And when liberal elitists attack our parental rights, um, Florida's going to stand up. So let's think about not only how we got in this position, but the idea that kindergartners, first, second, and third graders are going to be inundated with um, sexual orientation and transgenderism. We're not going to tolerate that in Florida. And so by Disney um, um, putting this front and center um, on their cultural um, chart, um, it led to us taking a look at what special privileges does Disney have. And I just wonder, there's rumored now that Hollywood is, uh, they have some insiders who say Bob Iger might come back. This CEO is such an epic fail. He saw some of his employees who walked out because of this bill that they incorrectly labeled, don't say gay bill. And he thought, okay, I didn't stay ahead of this. And they were reprimanding them inside, workers reprimanding your management. And then he came out and just failed and just apologized and flailed and said, I will do everything in my power to rescind this order. You talk about trying to get involved in politics. You can't get any more direct. Remember, those spineless corporations that pressured the Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game, all they did was cost urban businesses All-Star dollars coming out of the pandemic. No more sports bars. The sports bars didn't benefit. The clothing stores, the hotels, the rent-a-cars, they all moved to Colorado. Why? Because Coca-Cola and company said the new Georgia law was Jim Crow 2.0. It wasn't. It was labeled that by the president. When we come back, how Jen Psaki did the equivalent of that as uh, with this parent bill in Florida and how she's telling an incorrect story and pulling on your heartstrings to do it. That, when we come back in the bottom of the hour, we talk about Ukraine and the president's crumbling foreign policy with Mark Thiessen. Busy day. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You know what's amazing, Bill, is um, I'm sure Jen can read just fine. This is a four-page um, bill. This bill has nothing to do with how she's characterizing this bill. I'm sure she has plenty of problems in Washington to take care of, and she should leave Florida's um, legislation to Florida. But if she wants to talk about this bill, she should certainly read it first. And that was uh, Wilton Simpson. Uh, weighing in on the fact that uh, Jen Psaki had this reaction to which she mischaracterized as the don't say gay bill. This to me, I, people go, oh, my heart goes out to her. She goes, what are you talking about? I'm going to play this soundbite. But going in, she's asked about this bill and listen to her reaction. Cut 20. I'm going to get emotional about this issue because I just, it's horrible. But uh, 
but you know it's it's like kids who are bullied and it's like all these leaders are, are taking steps to hurt them and hurt their lives and hurt their families and you look at some of these laws in these states and it is going after parents who are in loving relationships who have kids it's completely outrageous sorry I, and this, this is an issue that makes me completely crazy, but it is an issue that is a political wedge issue. It is not a reflection of where the country is. No, she is not doing a reflection of what the bill is. You know, you, okay, you want to talk about sexual preferences with your second grader. I don't. Third grader, not okay. Kindergartner, are you kidding me? That's what it is, K through three. Uh, they're also saying CRT should not have a place in my state. This guy's governor. Of course, he's not an absolute monarch. He puts up the state legislature who are elected officials. They put it up there. Goodbye, CRT. You're listening to me right now on a national show, and you have to decide where the best place for you to live and maybe for your family to be raised. And you're choosing to go to places that aren't anti-American, that'll be somewhat traditional when it comes to what we learn in school, math and science. You don't necessarily need the insight. You don't have to be asking third graders. You don't have to be your man or woman again. I don't really think that's a lesson they have to learn. And DeSantis wins again because of the overreach. The bigger story, though, uh, within this story is that DeSantis looked at the attack he got received from Disney and decided to go after Disney's sovereignty status. So this will cost them millions in tax revenue, bring more tax revenue in, will give a whole bunch of exemptions, will be dissipated. And for those who say, well, Disney was actually getting a big tax break in order to bring over from California a lot of their workers. I don't know if that tax break is going to be rescinded now. As I mentioned, Hollywood executives are speculating that Bob Iger might be brought back. He said, I don't think this would have happened under Iger, says an unknown uh, unnamed uh, Hollywood executive. Disney now finds itself in the middle of a culture war and should not have been there. Uh, I'd be worried. Uh, Iger declined to comment on the possibility of his return. I have no idea the reasons behind his return. He obviously never has to work again. Uh, Pam Bondi weighed in last night, cut 22. They may challenge it. They will not be successful. They will not be successful. Disney chose to wade into this debate these liberal elitists, instead of staying in their lane, which is what? Entertaining families, making a lot of money for their shareholders, but instead they decided to attack the state of Florida. They're the ones who said, we're going we're gonna to fight this law. We're going to get this law overturned. So they picked this fight, and they're going to lose you this know, fight. Yeah, the vote was 23-16 in the Senate. It's supposed to go pretty much the same way, same ratio in the House, and then it's up to DeSantis to sign it. I mean, you talk about a titanic change. You wonder if there's going to be a last-minute sit-down because Disney can't go anywhere. They, they filled in this swamp decades ago. They built this huge campus decades ago. They have so much unused land still. They love the weather. That's where it belongs. But if Disney's going to be an activist organization, why don't you start with your organization in China? Because they're torturing people. We're not. We just want to tell third graders you don't have to make a choice if you're a boy or a girl. The way you were born is the way you'll stay until further notice. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Mr. Putin still has a lot of his inventory available to him. Uh, Some of it's been depleted. Um, Some of it's been destroyed. Some of it's been captured. But he still has a lot of combat capability available to him. Um, uh, And I think it's important for us to just remember that. Uh, Nobody forgets it. Yesterday he shot off a rocket, uh, told us, because as part of the missile agreement that we went back into, and would not be effective on this battlefield. But there's a report in Bloomberg that people close to Vladimir Putin, although he's not in danger of being overthrown, know that this Ukraine war is a colossal failure, despite how it comes out. It's been a terrible decision. We know that. We think that. But for the Russians to realize that, when, meanwhile, they're in control of all the entire media uh, complex um, is significant. Let's bring in Mark Thiessen, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Mark, this is going to be a big two weeks right now as the Russians try to save face and take the Donbass region and take the oil, take the iron, take the gas, take the coal, right? A hundred percent. Look, it's uh, it's a huge couple of weeks for Ukraine. It's also a huge couple of weeks for President Biden because uh, the polls show the American people don't think he's doing enough for Ukraine, and they're right. Um, And also the expectations on Ukraine have changed. So, you know, if if you think about it, the start of the war – all of us woke up. I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I did. Every morning, woke up, and the first thing I did was go on on uh, on my phone and check if Ukraine was still standing. Right, and none of us expected them to be able to hold out. None of us expect. We were waiting for the day that Kiev was going to fall. It was. It was just that, we, and we were just inspired by the bravery of the Ukrainians and their fight and how they were holding out against you know insurmountable odds. And then they won. <laughs> they won the battle of Kiev. They, and, and now the expectations have changed with the American people. We think – most Americans, I think, if you asked, think the Ukrainians can win this war. And so if all of a sudden they lose Mariupol, they lose Kharkiv, they lose – start losing in Donbass, then the American people are going to turn around and say, why are they suddenly losing? It's not because Putin got better. It's because we haven't done enough to help them, and they're going to blame Joe Biden. Uh, because because we, 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 what we will what we have seen is over and over again Zelensky saying I need more help I need more weapons that it's been a, a nonstop for a month now of him saying I need more weapons NATO is not giving me enough the U.S. Is, isn't giving me enough and so if they lose a city the, the, the Ukrainians haven't lost a city yet right if they lose a city whose fault is that it's not theirs it's Joe Biden's. It's the slow rolling of the weapons. They're doing more. It's good. They're helping. They're providing more weapons. They're providing the howitzers. You know, they provided 18 howitzers. They need 100 howitzers. Why are we not? And, and so now they're going to provide more. He's announcing more aid today. And more drones. Why hasn't this all been given before? Why is it taking two months to roll out this aid? Give them any. Literally, Joe Biden should have a stamp on his desk that says yes. And when the Ukrainians send a request for weapons, he should look at it. And just stamp it and hand it to to Austin and say deliver it and get it there as fast as they can. So fifty four the AP want, the AP did the, yeah the AP did a study. They say are you uh, uh, they asked a poll. They said are you happy with President Biden's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Fifty four percent said not tough enough. 
36% said about right. 8% said too tough. So obviously both Republicans and Democrats agree with what you're saying uh, for the most part. And we're now flooding it in there. A couple of uh, stories to share. It looks like in 2010 they made a decision on the Obama administration to give Afghanistan MI-17 helicopters. They are Russian state-owned. And they said, why are you doing that? He goes, the decision got lawmakers mad, but the Defense Department stayed the course saying that the Russian helicopters were relatively inexpensive, functioned well in Afghanistan's desert expanses and high altitudes. Well, we never delivered them. And now we're going to give them to Zelensky. And they know how to use them. So you talk about one fortuitous break. We got it there. Yesterday, four buses carrying civilians were able to evacuate from Mariupol, which by all reports is hell on earth. Another report, we have the prime minister of Spain and Denmark who went to Kiev to meet with Zelensky yesterday. Zelensky yesterday said that if we had all the weapons uh, before the war that we have now, we would have won the war already. Where do yep. you, where, where do you think uh, uh, there has been no signs that the Russians have honed their tactics and approach and communication. They're still fighting during the day. They're still just shelling cities that they can't take street by street. Yeah, and and here's the thing: you you mentioned those helicopters that uh, that we were supposed to give to Afghanistan that never got there. We have given more weapons to the Taliban than we have to Ukraine. Oh yeah, that's just a fact. If you look at what we left behind, what we abandoned and, and was taken up by, by you know, they, they, have, they don't have Russian helicopters. They've got Blackhawks, <laughs> the Taliban does. I mean, they've got like, you, you know, we're, we're talking, we're searching our inventories for, for Soviet-made weapons that we could provide them. They've got U.S.-made weapons. They've got like the top, you know, the, the Taliban have our, the good stuff that we have given to the Afghan, Afghan military. And we were, and we're hesitating to give any of this anything to the to the to the Ukrainians. Give me a break! And until we've we've matched or exceeded what we've given to the Taliban, we haven't done enough for the Ukrainians. True, growing number of Kremlin insiders, according to a Bloomberg report, Daily Mail report, I should say, feel the Ukraine invasion was a catastrophic mistake and fear that Putin could use nukes. But if Putin's dismissing all criticism of his plan, he says his plan is going perfectly. And if he takes Donbass and is able to do it and let alone to spread it down all the way south to Odessa, he will claim victory right there. Uh, I think it's a long way off. Ukraine says they liberated nearly a thousand settlements from the Russian invaders. I don't know if it's because they evacuated or not. This is the historic moment when we were developing maximum speed in joining the European Union. He is now filling out an application, is Zelensky, to join the EU. I love the fact that in the next few weeks we're going to hear that Sweden and Finland will join NATO. Please tell me on what planet that Vladimir Putin says he's achieving his goals. You know, it's funny. The, uh, the, the phrase during the Cold War for, for neutrality was Finlandization, right? Well, we we now have Putin has achieved reverse Finlandization. Even Finland is joining NATO, right? Yeah. It's 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 literally you know he's everything that he set out to to achieve has been turned back. He wanted to. I mean, NATO NATO was weak and divided, and he united them. He wanted to push. Uh, us to push all of our weapons and our troops out of the out of the East European allies and move it away. And instead, what we've done is we're going to ha- we're going to have permanent bases in Poland and the Baltics from now on. We've moved troops in; they're not they're not leaving. He's he's achieved that. Ukraine 
they, there, there were there were divisions in Ukraine between the Russian speaking and the and the and the Ukrainian speaking regions. Now even the Russian speaking Ukrainians want to be Ukrainian and don't want to be Russian. The majority of those people. So he's driven his own people within Ukraine away from him. And the only question is is are we going to do enough to make this a total defeat for him? My fear is that what the Biden administration wants is they want this war to stop. And so what they want to do is they, they, they want to arm Ukraine enough to get to a stalemate, right, where Putin has Donbass and some of these areas, and he's decided he's not going to go for Kiev, and we have some sort of peace with them. I mean, remember, this is the guy who came up with the brilliant idea to partition Iraq, right? He loves partitions. So let's partition Ukraine. Let's let's have a peace agreement where Putin gets Donbass. Uh, he get, he can hold keep Mariupol if he takes it, uh, and and connect the uh, connect Crimea to the to the Russian uh, to to Russia, and the Ukrainians will sue for peace and will and the war will end. No, that's not what we want. What we want now, Putin has miscalculated catastrophically. He has to pay a price for it, and the price should be that he's the weakest of the Ukrainians enough weapons to drive him the hell out of Donbass and every inch of territory that he's taken uh, in Ukraine. And we're not we don't have that as I don't believe we have that as a strategic objective. And we're certainly and the reason I don't think we have it as a strategic objective is because we're not acting like that. That's we're not true. arming them for that objective. And so that should be our objective. Total victory for the Ukrainians. Total humiliation for Vladimir Putin. He's not going to nuke us. He's not going to attack right. us because he can't beat Ukraine. He's not going to fight NATO. He's weak. Right. We need to recognize that he's the weak actor in this. He's the one who's miscalculated. And now we have to make him pay a price. For that, for that, for that. Would you, for you know, uh, tactical nukes are, are an option for a member. Donald Rumsfeld didn't take tactical nukes off the table. Meanwhile, Ukraine's Air Force now has 20 more fighter jets after an influx of parts in recent weeks. According to the Pentagon, a third country has offered to send Ukraine fixed wing aircraft to augment its fleet, though that has not happened yet. That, according to a senior U.S. defense official, over 20 commanders have been killed of the Russians. Uh, and the army, as well as their navy. The Russians, excuse me, the Ukrainians are blowing up Russian ships, and they don't have a navy. So this is pretty <laughs> unbelievable what's taking place. And you just wonder if uh, if Zelensky is putting up and watching two-thirds of his country be destroyed. I understand that. That's agonizing. People are dying, and they're mostly innocent. But what's being exposed to the rest of the world is the Russians— don't have an army. They have grift. They never modernize their armaments. And we're seeing that they could be a dead weight around the neck of China that they might just have to support. Real quick, when you look at what's, uh, what's happening with uh, our foreign policy, yesterday it became clear on two, two uh, fronts we look weak. China's top military general told our Secretary of Defense in a rare meeting that Taiwan is part of China and no one can change that. Uh, and on Wednesday, uh, this, they went out to say t- uh, there was no pushback from Austin. Secretary of Defense Austin should use that moment to say they are a sovereign country. We will be arming them as an ally would. They're allowed to make their own decisions. The Saudi crown prince uh, evidently met with uh, the prestigious um, Jake Sullivan. At which time they Sullivan got up instead of first saying, "Listen, we need you to pump more oil to get the price down." He came out and started ripping him on Khashoggi. When the prince turned around and says, "Don't ever bring that name up to me again," so he's if when they're not returning our call, they're dressing down our officials. 
It's it's uh, remarkable. And here's the other thing that people don't seem to understand is we do have a one China policy, but the one China policy does not mean we recognize that communist China is part of that Taiwan is part of communist China. When 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 the when the when the China when the, when Chiang Kai-shek went to Taiwan. He claimed to be the, the, the government on Taiwan, the Republic of China and the People's Republic of China in the Civil War, the communists and, the, and free China on Taiwan. They both claimed to be the legitimate government of all of China, right? And neither of them considered themselves to be to, for Taiwan to not be part of it. So when we said one China, we recognize that there's one China and Taiwan is part of it. And that was we didn't say that we didn't recognize that that would that that one China was governed by Beijing by the Communist Party. We reckon the, the the Taiwanese government for years had governors for every province in mainland China. They were the Republic of China on Taiwan, and so we've never recognized that Taiwan is a part of Communist China. Since then, because of China, because of the behavior of the Chinese, just like you, just like Putin has driven the Russians in Ukraine away and 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 strengthened. Uh, independence in Ukraine by his uh, hostility. So has China done the same thing in Taiwan. And now the Taiwanese people consider themselves to be a, a, a sovereign country. So we've never recognized that they're part of communist China. And anytime communist China says that, we should, of course, we should push back on it. And we look weak when we don't. Yeah, it's just uh, pretty amazing the way uh, Taiwan, all they want is the ability to defend themselves. They know exactly the weapons they need. Number two is China should look at Russia and say, what happens when you don't really fight wars? China hasn't fought yeah. or haven't had a skirmish since 1979 when they went into Vietnam and didn't have much success. I know they've modernized. I know they drill. I know they're fit. I know they got great numbers. But for them to see what's happening with Russia, what they told us Russia was, and what they are, are totally different. And China's putting their prestige on the line going after Taiwan. You think the PLA is less corrupt than the Russian military? I mean, they're in business everywhere. The, general, the, 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 the richest people in the world are the PLA generals. Do you think that they haven't, like— been grifting the Chinese, uh, the uh, the PLA, and like taking money and that was meant for uh, for military weaponry. If I was if I was Xi Jinping, I would call all my generals and say, "Show me that you're not going to lose in a war with Taiwan the way Russia is losing in in Ukraine." Because I'd be very worried that my military isn't everything that they say it is on paper. And lastly, just on Russia, I, I want you to hear what this national security analyst uh, on another network said. I thought it was right on the money. Cut eighteen. This is Clint Watts. Remember a few things that are weaknesses of the Russian military. One, they don't really fight at night. That's not their thing. The way we conduct <laughs> operations from the West, they just send troops straight in in daylight, essentially. And you can actually go out on social media on any given day and watch social media footage of Russian soldiers moving about. Second, when they are doing these assaults, they don't have a non-commissioned corps. They don't have sergeants the way we have in the U.S. or Western militaries to really lead these fights. You're talking about officers. These are experienced officers who are going to lead forces, essentially, on the front lines into urban combat against a steel factory that has been fully entrenched and dug in. This is a terrible situation if you're one of the leaders on the ground in Mariupol. And even some of the shock troops that they've tried to use, they tried using Chechen, uh, essentially, forces in Mariupol. They have not done well. I've watched several videos where you see these Chechen forces just get chewed up like it's a meat grinder in the streets of Mariupol. So I think they know what they're facing there. They're better odds, and, and really uh, a way to think about it is just trade off time and try and do the siege warfare, but they're still having to occupy with much more force to keep any sort of Ukrainian military from breaking out down, down in Mariupol. Final thought? I mean, what, what's your motivation if you're a Russian soldier? 
You're, you've, you've been told that you'd be liber- you'd be greeted that, that you're fighting for denazification and you'll be greeted by as a liberator by the Russian-speaking people in Ukraine. And instead, they're fighting you and they're killing you and they're falling and they're running in front of tanks. They hate you. The Ukrainians. The Ukrainians love their country. They're defending their country. They've they've got all the motivation in the world. The Russians can't win. We need to defeat them. I hear you, Mark. Hopefully people are listening. But you also have to convince the Republican Party. There's a huge faction in the Republican Party that don't even want to arm the Ukrainians. I don't think it's that huge. I think they, I think I think the isolationist wing of the Republican Party has been utterly discredited between Afghanistan and Ukraine. Uh, I think that they are on their heels. The, the American people are against them. They're a minority within the party. And uh, and. You know, I, I, I think that they're 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 uh, they're they're much smaller than than we think they are. I hope so. I'm not a member of it, and I don't think you are I'm not either. either. Yeah. Thanks, nope. Mark. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> take care. All Bye. right, man. Uh, he's ready to go. When we come back, so are you. Uh, we take your calls. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let's get back to Eric Adams, this 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 mayor who spews who is a Democrat, but he spews conservative and Republican talking points. At the end of the day, we have a name for someone like this, and this is someone we call a c- right because of Whoa. he's a black man and he's a white man in blackface and a very conservative-minded white man at that. So what we have is a man with. Hundreds of people on the city's payroll, billions of dollars in budget, and 40,000 police officers. He has 10 10 victims in one night. The night before, he had 16 shooting victims on a train. And they say, what are you going to do about policing? And he says, what about BLM? Is America not smart enough to see him deflecting? Wow. Uh, That is Hawk News to one with Bill Hammer within a half hour ago. There's so much wrong with what he said. Number one. You're not a real black person if you're conservative. No way is Eric Adams conservative. He took on the police during his days as a captain uh, in the force to the point where a lot of people on the police force say this guy really against the cops. What he's trying to do is solve the problem. Nobody ever said less cops is going to make the the crime go away in the streets. So this guy is able to just embarrass himself, Hawk Newsom, by making statements like that and making derogatory descriptions because someone's not acting like he thinks they should because of the color of their skin. Isn't that racist? Brian Kilmeade, Joe, so glad you're here. Don't re- don't forget, we always talk about big issues like this on One Nation at 8 o'clock on Saturdays on Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming into you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world, heard in the Ukraine. Uh, we'll be discussing it all with a great roster of guests. In fact, uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Monica Crowley, who's going to be here in a matter of uh, moments as I manipulate my rundown, which I put far too away, away from myself. 
We're going to be dealing with uh, General Robert Spaulding, and we want to get a handle on what's happening not only in the Ukraine, we're following that, but also what's happening in China, because yesterday there was a clash between the Secretary of State Austin and the Defense Minister over in China. They had a rare head-to-head, and it looks like we got the worst of it again. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Disney chose to wade into this debate, these liberal elitists, instead of staying in their lane, which is what? Entertaining families, making a lot of money for their shareholders, but instead they decided to attack the state of Florida. Yeah, that is true. Believe it or not, Disney first DeSantis, that's the matchup, but really it's parents and the anti-woke versus the spineless corporate Americans, and it's got to stop. Number two. Weaknesses of the Russian military. One, they don't really fight at night. That's not their thing. They just send troops straight in in daylight. Second, when they are doing these assaults, they don't have a non-commissioned corps. They don't have sergeants. And even some of the shock troops that they've tried to use, they tried using Chechen forces in Mariupol. I've watched several videos where you see these Chechen forces just get chewed up. Uh, It's true. That's Clint Watts, a security expert, arming Ukraine before Russia can take Donbass. That's the race now on and the war dominating the headlines as reality begins to sink inside Russia that this war of choice was a big mistake. Number one. You also have to keep in mind, CDC has had a series of bad hands. I mean, they lost in front of the Supreme Court on the mandate for large employers. This could end up adding to a rather poor record that they've already established in the courts. Wow, Jonathan Charlie weighs in. On or off the DOJ is appealing the court's decision to take off the mask on all mass transportation. Hours after President Biden said it would be up to us to make our own decision. Who is making the decisions? And believe it or not, an AP poll says most of you want to leave the masks on. But let's talk about what's happening now. The president of the United States is updating us on everything that we're doing to help out the Ukrainians who have taken back a thousand different areas of their country, they say. But they're losing. They lost a couple of cities, smaller uh, areas of the Donbass region, while still Mariupol is still holding out. Some uh, a few dozen were able to get out on buses yesterday through humanitarian corridors. But we'll see what happens to those hiding in the bowels of a steel mill in that key city. With me right now is General Robert Spaulding, former White House Senior Director for Strategic Planning on the National Security Council, currently the CEO of a tech security firm, uh, as well as an author of the book, War Without Rules, China's Playbook for Global Domination. General, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. General, can you believe the Russians have lost 20 commanders uh, uh, between their naval losses as well as their, uh, their army? Well, you know, it's it's funny because um, I think they got an overinflated view of themselves fighting in Syria. And, you know, when they went up against Ukrainians who have been training with NATO troops and U.S. troops, you know, over the last, you know, say 10 years, um, they're, they're obviously were in for a big surprise. You know, they didn't, they're, they're, uh, when they went against the U.S. in Syria, it didn't turn out well either. Uh, right. Uh, especially that Wagner group who decided to uh, come after us, and Mattis gave permission, blow them away, and 200-plus died, and um, not a word from the, from the Russians, because they're not supposed to be there. They have about 20,000 foreign fighters. What does it tell you, General, that they got to pull out fighters from Syria and fighters from Chechnya and others in order, and Belarus basically convinced them to do it against their will, in order to try to take back the or take over the Donbass, what does that tell you? 
Well, I mean, clearly they thought this was going to go a lot easier than it did, and they didn't muster, and they couldn't muster the resources required to really occupy Ukraine. So they thought Ukraine was just going to roll over. When they didn't, I think what they're um, going to do now is try to consolidate in the Donbass, and, and just it's going to be a stalemate like Korea was. And that's going to be okay? Well, I'm not saying that's okay, but Korea was like the beginning of the Cold War. And so what we're seeing is the beginning of Cold War II. It's starting with Ukraine, but it's going to spread, and it's going to go – You know, I believe the next is going to be Taiwan. Well, uh, uh, Taiwan will be key, and I'll talk about that in a second. But we're giving more aid there. It's being that the Russians' goal is to attack non-combatants. I mean, they're they're trying to kill civilians. We call that collateral damage. It's their intention. What does it tell you that possibly we might have a different outcome, knowing that when the Russians square off with the Ukrainians, they lose? Well, you know, they again, they've uh, exhausted their supply of precision weapons. So all they have is essentially dumb weapons and dumb weapons kill a lot of people. And, you know, for their strategy, you know, what they're going to have to do is basically kill a lot of people and they're doing the Russians don't really care. Um, you're not going to get a lot of concern out of Putin for you know the civilians in Ukraine. He wants he wants the territory. He believes it's part of the greatest geopolitical disaster in the 20th century. He wants to reverse that. So he, he doesn't. He's not going to care about the people of Ukraine. Uh, yeah, I just said there used to be some valor in war where you know if you're you're aiming for 80 year old women, that's really not how a warrior fights. That's not necessarily the code of a modern army. I wouldn't think. Well, no, and but it's also uh, not how an authoritarian or totalitarian thinks. You know, it's not, you know, certainly not the way Hitler thought. Um, it's not the way that those types of regimes think. You know, it's not about human life. It's not about individual liberty. It's about what the state wants, and the state wants, you know, uh, and it'll do whatever it can to get it. Do you agree that over the next two weeks will be the definitive time? Because that's the Russians have consolidated their forces. We know exactly what they're going to do. They have had a chance to pivot uh, away from Kiev and the capital in the north. Do you believe these two weeks will tell? Um, no, I think it's going to go a lot longer than that. I think what the Russians have to do is begin to figure out how they essentially reclaim their economy. Um, it can only go so far. And, you know, the, with the ruble, you know, having suffering kind of the devaluation that it did and and they're struggling, you know, with their own supply chain problems within the country. He's got to worry about the population revolting. So, no, I, I think what he's going to begin to do is consolidate his um, control over the areas he currently has. And then he's going to try to restart his economy. I think that's what he's going to be focused on, probably. You know, so it's going to go a lot longer than two weeks. So uh, Putin came out and made a statement that the sanctions have failed. But the problem is his own central banker who wanted to quit, this Elvira Nabula, she said, quote, at the moment, perhaps the problem is not yet so strongly felt because there are still reserves in the economy. But we will see that sanctions are being tightened almost every day, adding that this period during which the economy can live on reserves is finite. And a lot of the things that are being sanctioned are what you need to uh, maintain their military and build on it and replace parts. So this could be there, – there might be a time clock on Russia. Well, there is, and that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that they're going to they're gonna probably consolidate where they are. They're not going to gain any more territory. They're going to try to entrench where they are, and they're going to try to restart their economy because they have to. A couple of things now. Uh, how do you think China views what they're seeing in, uh, with Russia and Ukraine? 
Well, the benefit that China got out of, you know, basically blessing Putin's invasion is that they could watch the how the West responded to it. What are the things that the West does to strangle Russia's economy as a result? And so what they want to do is basically take all those lessons learned from what Russia has experienced by invading Ukraine and apply it to the Chinese economy in a way that will make it uh, not be able to be attacked in the same way. So they want to insulate themselves from financial and economic attacks for when they do move on Taiwan. You can't, though. Uh, if, they, if we stay united, the European Union and NATO, and we decide that China's belligerence gets something we can't tolerate, they need the market. I mean, they can't live off Africa and the Middle East, can they? Well, so that's what the Belt and Road Initiative is about, right? So they get energy from their, uh, from their partner nations, countries like Iran, countries like Russia. They get raw materials and resources from their you know, African uh, you know, partners, and they pay in RMB. So you know, Russia was harmed by being cut off from the SWIFT banking system. China won't care. It'll all be in RMB, and in fact, now they're doing uh, trades with Saudi in RMB. That's what they wanted. So now they have the ability to have their own currency, their own economic system. And when we try to cut them off, what are they going to do? They're going to cut us off. They're going to cut us off from microelectronics, from pharmaceuticals. Where do we get medicine when they do that? It's, so, you know, it's great that, you know, we have – they're part of the banking system, but they own the supply chain for the world. We won't be able to get ibuprofen. We won't be able to get Tylenol. Have we it'll not be, made a move? Really Brad. Have we made a move since this pandemic was forced on us by China to start moving manufacturing back home in any significant way? No, not in any significant way. Very minor. Very little. Oh, that's got to be a major wake-up call. Any competent leader would say that that's in our national interest, and the American people would understand it because we all experienced it. Meanwhile, yesterday, China's chief uh, top military general told Secretary of Defense Austin that Taiwan is part of China and warns relations would crumble uh, if we continue to defend Taiwan and arm Taiwan. Again, we're getting berated from a, a Chinese official. What's your reaction to that? Well, I think they're just basically letting the U.S. know that if you thought uh, you, you know, Russia had a claim on Ukraine, which we don't, um, we actually have a claim on Taiwan. So don't even think about getting involved because you know it's going to it's going to end badly for you. It's very clear that um, Xi Jinping has said that he will not leave Taiwan to the next generation. So when this happens, I can't tell you, but I guarantee you, it's within the next five years. Well, uh, right now, do you believe that we should make it clear that we're going to give Taiwan the weapon system that allow them to fend off an attack and just let them know we're doing it? Yes, yes, I do, but I don't think it's going to be enough. The Chinese literally have built up hundreds of thousands of weapons. I mean, in terms of the resources that Russia had to move into Ukraine, it pales in comparison to what China can leverage for the 23 million population of Taiwan. They can cover every square inch of Taiwan with a weapon to include all the U.S. military bases in the region. They have been building their strength for 30 years. What, uh, how do they, uh, when you talk, you, you talk about in your book, and we're talking with, um, uh, we were talking to General Robert Spaulding. He is the author of War Without Rules, China's Playbook for Global Domination. 
Do you believe part of their attack on us is this fentanyl that's coming through our southern border? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, you know, when you look at their system, when you look at war without rules, it was really predicted by these two PLA colonels back in the late 1990s. I read it back then, you know, as a young uh, B-2 pilot. I didn't understand it. And now after, you know, seeing what has happened in the world with globalization, the Internet really enabling the uh, influence of our corporations, of our financial institutions, of our political system by the Chinese, I understand what they were saying. They were saying we are going to use these tools, globalization and the Internet, to begin to move the world in our favor. International institutions like the U.N. will respond to China, not the U.S. And when they do, the values and principles of that order will be about authoritarianism, will be about the elites that run the world, not about the citizens and individual liberties. Yeah, the, but, but their use of extortion is starting to wise people up like the Congo and others in Pakistan, I believe, into understanding that uh, we're a much better partner and we have to do a better job letting people know that. Meanwhile, the president of the United States was speaking while we were speaking, General. And here's what he said as he looked to uh, tighten the screws on Russia. Tell me what you think of this. Today, I'm announcing that the United States will ban Russian-affiliated ships from our ports, as they did in Europe. That means no ship, no ship that sails under the Russian flag or that is owned or operated by a Russian interest will be allowed to dock in the United States port or access our shores. None. What does that do? Well, I think it, it has a limited effect now because what is happening is, is as the noose tightens on Russia, its tie with China becomes ever more important. What is China saying about that relationship? We are going to be more strategic in our relationship with Russia. So China's not backing away from Russia. They're doubling down on Russia. And so when we think about the fact that China owns the supply chain, and, oh, by the way, you're starting to see the ships from China to the U.S. slow, right, because of the lockdowns. We have to start to wonder, are we beginning to see the beginning of the end where we don't have access to that supply chain any longer? You know, so we have to be very careful. What if she said those exact same words, except it was no more Chinese ships will be going to the United States? What would that impact, you know, a, a, an average American? I think it would be devastating. True, and it'd be devastating to them because we are their number one market. Well, that's true, but what I've been saying is they have been growing these other markets through the Belt and Road right. Initiative. Their idea was to go west so that they could protect themselves from the fact that the U.S. was such a big part of their economy. Got it. Uh, General, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, we're dealing with uh, multiple fronts here. Uh, in our battle for world to, to stay the number one economic and military superpower. Thank you. Thank you. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll take your calls in a second, and then open up, they'll open it up to Monica Crowley, who brings inside politics, the falling numbers of of, uh, of President Biden, and what it means uh, that ten people are listed on the top ten list of likely candidates on the Democratic side to be the nominee for President of the United States while they have a sitting president who could run again. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Today, the United States is announcing that we intend to provide an additional $500 million in direct economic assistance to the Ukrainian government. 
This brings our total economic support for Ukraine to $1 billion in the past two months. This is money the government can help use to stabilize their economy, to support communities that have been devastated by the Russian onslaught, and pay the brave workers that continue to provide essential services to the people of Ukraine. Huh. All right. That was worthy of press conference. I, I don't know. It's, it's just strange. But he doesn't, I shouldn't even say press conference because he doesn't take any questions. He just leaves. He did take a few questions. Uh, did he say anything significant? Not really babbled a little bit. Apparently, he's, they asked him about uh, Title 42. I didn't totally hear it, but I saw a tweet saying he confused the answer on that. I can pull it back. Um, but then he asked him more about Ukraine and the, uh, how much money we're giving them. We were giving them a ton of money. And I wonder, is that coming out of the defense budget? That, that's key. You know, because people went crazy when we used some of the defense budget to build a wall. And they said, well, they are, our U.S. for defense. And not that I'm not all for it, but if there is going to be some spending, uh, deficit spending, it would be to defend the West. And I think that's exactly what's at stake. And I just wonder if Mark Thiessen was right in an earlier hour today. He says a very small portion of the Republican Party that's isolationist wants no part of this. I don't know if it's that small. I really don't. But uh, we'll see. doesn't matter. They're not in power now anyway. That could change, begin to change come the midterm elections. one 408 We'll be back with Monica Crowley. Talk a little politics when we return. And keep in mind, too, coming up Saturday one, uh, at 8 o'clock and then at 11, One Nation, Fox News Channel. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But it would also be smart from the Russian perspective to negotiate some sort of settlement with the remaining troops and the civilians that are here. Get them out of that location rather than try and fight them. They've already done some prisoner exchanges in other parts between the Russian and Ukrainian military. I would think just, you know, logistically, rather than creating this humanitarian disaster here, continuing to bog down troops, even if, even if, when you look at what's going on here in Mariupol, the Russians just do siege warfare. They have to leave troops in place. Every minute that the Ukrainian military can hold out here in Mariupol is another minute the Russians can't redeploy, and it's another minute that the Ukrainians can deploy more force here into the Donbass. Yeah, and then Vladimir Putin said, I've decided to stop attacking the steel mill, which were the remnants of the Russian fighting, the Ukrainian fighting forces. He said, basically, I'm not going to let anything in or out, not even a fly. So he's going to try to starve them out. But still, it means his army is uh, preoccupied, at least a portion of it. Meanwhile, he's got 20,000 foreign fighters there. Uh, with us right now is uh, my good friend, Monica Crowley, former United States Assistant Secretary of Treasury for Public Affairs, among her many titles. She's also got a brand new podcast here to talk about that. Monica, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's so good to be back with you. Now, first you so off, tell me about you. Me. For people who want to get your podcast, when you, when this interview is done, of course. Um, yes, where, where do we well, go? of course. Well, the the podcast, which I just launched about three or four weeks ago, it's called the Monica Crowley Podcast, which is not particularly creative, Brian, but it does get to the point. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can get it on all podcast platforms. So wherever you go for your podcast, 
Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. Just type in Monica Crowley Podcast. It's there. I'm doing it three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. New podcasts drop on those days. And I'm absolutely having a ball because this is the show that I always wanted to do. It is no holds barred and no mercy. And I think you'll really love it. All right. No, no doubt about it. Talking about the Ukraine, I'm sure it's one of your topics. Here's uh, Vladimir Zelensky yesterday talking about Mariupol. Cut nine. All the guys in Mariupol, everyone wants our victory. They want the city to be unblocked. No one is going to surrender to the enemy. This is how they feel. This is who they are. And this is what is inside their souls. No doubt about it. They're winning over the world. So is he. But right now, there's no sign that reinforcements could get in. The, uh, Zelensky has come out and said, hey, how about we swap some of the POWs I have for safe passage for my Marines? So far, Putin has not taken it up on that. Where do you think this one's going? Right. Right. You know, it's fascinating to me, this entire military exercise on the part of the Russians, because we thought when we entered the 21st century, Brian, that old school invasions of, like this would not happen. You wouldn't see it. You would see economic warfare. You would see cyber warfare. But you wouldn't see this kind of actual physical invasion with military forces, tanks and, and artillery and weapons and this kind of thing. But Putin decided to pull the trigger on this because he thought it would be quick, and he thought that the Ukrainians would would basically fold and that there would be no Western assistance for the Ukrainians. He was only right about that last part, that Western support for the Ukrainian effort, um, he thought, would not really materialize, and it hasn't really. There's been um, some—NATO has offered some assistance, but really not enough— um, to, to really kind of repel the Russians in a, in a timely way. I give all credit to Zelensky for fighting back in a very valiant way, the Ukrainian people. But now you've got 4 million Ukrainian refugees that have spilled over into Eastern Europe. So you've got this humanitarian crisis, as well as the war continuing to rage. Putin is not – here's my concern, Brian. Vladimir Putin is being treated by the, the West, including by the Biden administration, as if he's some sort of two-bit uh, tin-pot dictator like a Ceausescu or a Gaddafi. He is not that, and he has no intention of ending up hanging by his ankles in Red Square like some of these other dictators So he's also sitting atop nuclear weapons. So the fact that the West has essentially mismanaged this from the beginning um, leads me to believe that the end game on this, nobody has really thought through, um, including in the West. Nobody has really thought through this. Putin looks at restoring imperial Russia, mother Russia, as his legacy. He realizes he can't be president of Russia forever. And he is not going to stop. This is going to continue this kind of slow grind. Um, and I think what, in the end, what you could see, Brian, is the, the Russians bogged down in Ukraine the way they were bogged down in Afghanistan with a long, protracted fight. And remember the results. The result was the collapse of the regime two years later. And that could right. easily be the story here because one thing is clear. Uh, their their military is is not good, 
They are uh, clearly have not modernized. They have no tactics, horrible training. 20 of their commanders are dead. Most of the commanders are terrible. Uh, so they did not know what they were getting into, which means their intelligence is awful. The, uh, the Russian-speaking people that he claimed were allied with Russia and the old Soviet Union all hate him more than life itself. And the NATO, who he wanted to weaken, has strengthened with them pledging now and starting already to build up their military budgets. And now we could add in Norway and Finland. So, so many things have gone wrong for Vladimir Putin. I couldn't be happier to see it happen to a worse person. I mean, he is everything that Stalin and Hitler is. I mean, look at the way he is treating uh, civilians, targeting uh, women and children. Uh, That's collateral damage with us where there will be investigations. They can't win a military clash, so they're going after civilians. It's despicable. Yeah, and and we should not have expected otherwise with Putin. But here's the thing. He took a big risk, again, thinking that it would be a relatively clean shot in Ukraine. And instead, what's happened is it's exposed Russia's weaknesses yep. and the Russian military weaknesses for the world to see. Um, and, and this puts him in an even more dangerous position because now he's got to try to overcompensate for the exposure of those weaknesses by continuing to press forward. Look, he is on the record as saying that the worst geopolitical disaster of the last 100 years was not World War II, where the Russians lost about 60 million people, but instead it was the collapse of the Soviet Union. So for him, he looks at his place in history as putting at least part of the Soviet Union back together, again, more imperial Russia, mother Russia than the Soviet Union. And because he looks at Vladimir Lenin as his North Star, Lenin once said, if we lose Ukraine, we will lose our heads. And it was because of the agricultural resources and so on for Ukraine, for the Soviet Union. But think about this. In 1917, uh, Brian, at the start of the Russian Revolution, Ukraine was independent. They wanted no part of the Soviet Union. Lenin and the Bolsheviks went in and took it by force. And so Putin looks at that and says, well, I'm going to have to go in and take this by force. But the problem is now, because he went in and he's looking at a long, protracted guerrilla war there, that it actually has had the effect of making Russia weaker, not stronger. And, you know, who's really looking at this closely is President Xi in China with one eye on Taiwan. Right. Uh, But they're also seeing the turbulence. I go back and forth with all these experts. They're seeing the turbulence and trouble they're having and seeing that it wasn't clean in and out for, uh, in fact, disastrous for Russia. And the Austrization, uh, they are now a pariah nation. Being the, to be in a country needs to fuel its economy with a open marketplace. I'm wondering if they're looking, if, if they're saying, is this really worth it? To take Taiwan, which is zero threat to us, um, in order to alienate so many other nations, when they would have enough, they're going to have enough of a problem trying to come back from a pandemic they all caused. But I do want to talk about uh, the economy, if I can. Fred Smith, the guy who used to run FedEx, says that you could tie directly the beginning of inflation and this current cycle that we're in right now and the passing of the rescue plan. This is his calculus. Cut 27. It's a combination of a lot of things that began with the pandemic and the instant reduction of demand and then the stimulus payments created demand for goods and Then the third stimulus payment about a year ago created a significant labor shortage 
And all of those went together to create the situation we have today with too many dollars chasing too few uh, goods and still many, many uh, jobs unfilled. So inflation is a big problem, no question about it. And you could say it's self-inflicted, too, to a degree. And the thing is, this is what they're going to be running on. Here's inflation. It's going to be the pandemic or the Putin price hike. But in reality, the Republicans have to outline who's really responsible for the extended pain. Yes, exactly right. And that's that is a messaging and a policy challenge in front of the Republicans. But it's an easy one, Brian, because they have all the facts on their side. Look, when we were at the Treasury Department um, in the Trump administration, we oversaw the vast majority of programs and uh, systems that we put in place to get the American people through the most acute period of the pandemic crisis. So this was like in the first six months of the crisis, March of 2020 through the fall of 2020, we stood up all kinds of programs to get America's workers and small businesses and our industries like the airlines through that period of crisis. That was an emergency So therefore, Brian, emergency level spending was justified. The problem is that when Biden and the Democrats came in in January of 2021, they continued the emergency level spending absent the emergency. And they dumped trillions of dollars into the economy at the worst possible time. The economy was coming back. It was rebounding. There was a lot of strength out there. It didn't need any additional support. But they dumped trillions of dollars more in and the Federal Reserve continued to print money like it was going out of style. And so the system now is so awash in money just sloshing around that you've got these huge inflationary pressures, and we're all paying the price. And you know what? Here's something that the, the Republicans should really press going into November and beyond. The Democrats have always talked a good line about wanting to champion the middle class and the working class and the poor. Well, those are the folks who bear the brunt of inflation most of all, because they are least able to withstand these kinds of rising prices. And actually, if you're wealthy, you're benefiting because your home value has gone up 20 percent over the last year. So if you're rich, inflation, not a big deal. But if you're middle, working class and and the working poor, you are bearing the brunt of this. And the Democrats simply don't care because right. it's all in service of a bigger ideological mission of remaking and, the economy. Right. And, I, and I, like to add, I, I like to add this to it, too. The Republicans should really watch, keep their powder dry as Democrats attack these corporations for not paying taxes, because these corporations are not giving the Republicans anyway. So, you know, if Amazon wants to pay, what, 100, you know, because Jeff Bezos was writing down his salary at $100,000, not giving himself anything, and the corporation's getting by, let the Democrats figure it out. Because these corporations are not are doing nothing but, uh, you know, creating headaches for this for Republicans. I give you case in point what's happening with the Georgia election law changes and all those uh, corporations that went after, uh, you know, went after major league, uh, went after the Republican governor there. And then you look at what's happening with Disney in Florida. I mean, if Democrats want to target corporations, have at it. Good luck with that. And and right. Republicans should be if they want to be working class, let them be consistent. Yes, 
I 100% agree with that. And, you know, in 2015 and 2016, Donald Trump actually started the kind of realignment that you're talking about. He began this incredible political realignment where it wasn't Republicans who elected Trump in 2016. It was disaffected Democrats and disaffected independents. And so now you've got corporations, which used to be Republican, now on the woke left, and they are destroying themselves because, honestly, Brian, they are no longer in the business of business. They're in the business of ESG. They're in the business of helping to re-engineer the U.S. economy into more of a collectivist, socialist kind of model. I mean, it's outrageous what's going on, but they need to also understand that there are consequences for that. So if they want to go along with this realignment and lead the way, whether it's BlackRock or Disney or Delta or Coca-Cola, they've all weighed in on some of these social issues because in all of these companies, the inmates are running the asylum and these CEOs don't have enough courage to stand up to their woke millennial employees and say, no, on your own time, you can do whatever social justice warrior stuff you want to do. But on our corporate time, this is what this corporation stands for, shareholder value and producing a good or service that is needed in society. Right. We'll see what happens. So far, the Republicans have raised $47 million for the midterms in this quarter for 2022. The DNC, $42 million. But the momentum is all on the other side. I think Democrats would, would admit that. Monica, good luck with the Monica Crowley podcast. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Uh, you got it. one 408 I'll be back uh, to fill in more, expand on what President Biden said this morning, pledging more money and not really being definitive on the future of Title 42 at the border. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's get back to Eric Adams, this 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 mayor who spews who is a Democrat, but he spews conservative and Republican talking points. At the end of the day, we have a name for someone like this, and this is someone we call a c- right because of Whoa. he's a black man and he's a white man in blackface and a very conservative-minded white man at that. So what we have is a man with hundreds of people on the city's payroll, billions of dollars in budget, and 40,000 police officers. He has 10 10 victims in one night. The night before, he had 16 shooting victims on a train. And they say, what are you going to do about policing? And he says, what about BLM? Is America not smart enough to see him deflecting? That is uh, that is Hawk Newsom of Black Lives Matter's New York chapter. I don't think he heads it up anymore either. But uh, he's got to you know, if you are legitimately for African-Americans or you're looking to uh, do the best you can for those in an urban environment that need help. You kept you have to be outraged about the number of mansions bought, the lack of ability to fire and uh, uh, to file an IRS uh, form, their tax form uh, to raise all this money and not be accountable for it. You should be more outraged than anybody. But Hawk Newsom's taking aim at the mayor. I wasn't there for the whole interview because I'm doing this show at the same time. But the mayor is not your problem. The mayor is not going to go out to target uh, black people. And the thing is, too, what do you mean Republican? 
and uh, using a word derogatory term to describe a Democratic mayor who you disagree with their policies. And I didn't know the color of your skin dictates what you believe. Did anyone tell Hawk Newsom what to think because he's black? Does anyone tell me what to think because I'm white? I mean, aren't people allowed to have their own opinions? Wasn't that the point of the whole country? And if you go out and you take control of a city and you see there's a problem with black-on-black crime and you say it, that means you're a conservative white person, acting like a conservative white person? No, you're acting like an American who wants to fix a problem. It's a huge difference. Hey, uh, make sure you go to BrianKilme.com, order any of my books, especially on that note, The President and Freedom Fighter. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, 48th and 6th. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Got a busy hour coming your way, one 408 in order to be a part of it, and I hope you are. Uh, but I think it's now important to tell you Who's coming up? we got uh, Mike Ryder standing by. He was former chairman of the House uh, Select Committee on Intelligence. And Jonathan Turley to make heads or tails over the Biden administration's perplexing decision to take the elimination of the max mandate to an appeals court. So let's get started with the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Disney chose to wade into this debate these liberal elitists, instead of staying in their lane, which is what? Entertaining families, making a lot of money for their shareholders. But instead, they decided to attack the state of Florida. Wow, uh, that is Pam Bondi. Disney versus DeSantis. That's the matchup, really. But in reality, it's the parents uh, versus the, uh, and the anti-woke left, right versus the spineless corporate Americans who keep giving in to the loudest voice behind them who often are the most radical. Number two. Weaknesses of the Russian military. One, they don't really fight at night. That's not their thing. They just send troops straight in in daylight. Second, when they are doing these assaults, they don't have a non-commissioned corps. They don't have sergeants. And even some of the shock troops that they've tried to use, they tried using Chechen forces in Mariupol. I've watched several videos where you see these Chechen forces just get chewed up. Yeah, arming Ukraine before Russia can take the Donbass. That's the race on right now in the war that's dominating the headlines. And reality begins to sink in inside Russia that this war of choice was an epic error. Number one. You also have to keep in mind, CDC has had a series of bad hands. I mean, they lost in front of the Supreme Court on the mandate for large employers. This could end up adding to a rather poor record that they've already established in the courts. On or off, the DOJ appealing the court decision to take off the mask on mask uh, on mass transportation hours after President Biden said it would be up to us to make the decision. And now the DOJ is fighting back. Who's running the Oval Office, let me ask? Let's bring in Mike Rogers, former chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Uh, welcome back, Mike. It is always good to be back, Brian. Can I go? Can I just give you a question below your weight? And that is on these mass <laughs> mandates. I mean, I don't is know. this unbelievable? After COVID, it may be at my weight. <laughs> Who knows? Well, I'm just wondering with these mass mandates, when is the president going to realize as the uh, uh, the American culture is about making your own decision, and instead he's pushing back and bringing this back to the court? 
Well, and I, I listen, I, this is the first time I flew on an airplane yesterday without a mask, and I'm going to bet about 90% of the people did not have masks. And so these are frequent flyers. These are people who know risks. These are people who are probably all vaccinated and all of that. You would start to think that the administration would kind of get it, that this is not where America's uh, Americans want to be. And to do this, again, just kind of flies in the face. But this is not inconsistent with what they've been doing. You know, everything from, you know, adding cost into your wallet, uh, you know, taking money out of your wallet, more likely, uh, into these mask mandates. And they are just attacking this this common sense notion that, parent, that uh, people uh, on their own can't make decisions about when they should and shouldn't wear masks now that we're through the worst of it. And I, it just it defies logic. They're going to waste a lot of time and a lot of money. And. I think it's ridiculous. You tell people on on trains and buses, it probably makes sense. Great. I bet people who need to wear them will wear them. Just further divides the country. Uh, let, let's talk about Ukraine. Uh, we know the president of the United States just made an announcement. We're giving $800 million more in dollars in, in uh, armament. We also are going to ban all Russian ships from coming ashore. Your thoughts about how the president's handling it, because the American people answered a poll uh, to ask the president, uh, to ask how we, how he's doing. Fifty-four percent say he's not tough enough uh, in the fight for Ukraine. Thirty-six percent about right. Eight percent too tough. How does Mike Rogers feel? Uh, listen, they've been slow. We've said from the very beginning we need quantity and quality arms. So just announcing money to throw at the problem, if you're giving them weapons or gear that, that doesn't help them fight back at the pointy end of that spear right today, uh, then it's too slow. And so this kind of constant dripping, like, see, I'm doing something, see, I'm doing something, give them what they need now. So we understand what's going on in the Donbass region. So think of this, 70% of Russia's land army is now committed in Ukraine, 70, right? And so right now is the time when they're kind of regrouping and trying to uh, attack those units, those very brave, courageous Ukrainian units fighting and holding out in the east. This would be the perfect time to push all everything that we can give them to fight back. I know they're doing heavy artillery. Great. Where was it? Why is it now? Why are you talking about it now? This should have already been on trains heading for the front. Uh, it's just, just too slow. And remember, quantity and quality, that's what they've been asking for. That's what our military advisors say they need. And that's where we should be. And the president just keeps dribbling it out. Uh, and saying, see, we're doing a lot. I, yeah. It's very frustrating. It, well, it, I mean, he evidently is uh, getting more and more interested in the conflict, and he can't believe the valor in which they're fighting for. And Vladimir Putin is shocked that he wasn't able to steamroll the country. Does anyone do good intelligence anymore? We thought they'd fall in 72 hours. Vladimir Putin thought it would be a walk in the park. Why was this such a mystery, Mike? You used to do this. You're an FBI guy. Yeah, well, let me tell you. So I think there was an, a little bit of intelligence wrong on both ends. But here's what's was shocking to me. So you know, their, their flagship uh, uh, that was sunk uh, in, uh, in the Black uh, Sea, why did that happen? I'll tell you, it's really fascinating. This tells you a lot about what we Im- implied on them that they were doing, meaning the Russian troops and what they were actually doing. They had weapon systems, we know this for a fact, that would have defeated that uh, that missile. We, we know that they had the technology on that ship to be able to do it. And they didn't do it. And part of that is just training. And so what we're seeing is he spent a lot of – he, Putin, spent a lot of money modernizing the Russian military and made a big deal out of it. 
And our intelligence services watched all that, and they gave assessments back and said, you know, we think that, yes, they've modernized it. And by the way, yes, they did. But what they didn't do is do the training component. So they didn't modernize the way they fight. They don't have non-commissioned officers. And that's the backbone of the U.S. military is these non-commissioned officers taking leadership roles you know, during combat uh, and at the pointy end of that spear. They didn't have any of that. And so if an officer isn't telling them to do it, it's not happening, that's a problem. Training on the equipment of which they have, that's a problem. Think of this, Brian. All of the, the pretty sophisticated encryption that they could provide to troops in the battlefield didn't get dispersed. Why? Well, we speculate, and I, I believe it's because they didn't want these soldiers to believe that they were going into a, a, another country to, to kill a lot of people. So they didn't give them what they would normally do in a wartime deployment. They kept it back, which allowed the Ukrainian soldiers to really put the hurt on them because they were intercepting conversations and movements and the whole the whole nine yards. And so all of those things added up. So intelligence got a lot right, but they didn't get it all right. And on both sides, I think the Russian intelligence was saying, hey, this is going to be a walk in the park. Don't worry about it. So it's pretty amazing. It almost as if saying, OK, so that's an indication we didn't think they were going to invade. At the same time, that's if we weren't uh, out there. We weren't thinking with them. We had a we had a hypothesis, but it wasn't correct. Saddam Hussein, for example, why would he be acting that way, threatening nuclear weapons and chemical attacks if he didn't have it? Well, that's because he had it. All right. He had it before. Absolutely. When we got there, he didn't have it. Why? He was threatening to do that in order to keep Iran, they say, one theory, off balance. And they didn't want to seem as though he didn't have those weapons of mass destruction. But we made a conclusion that he wasn't making it up. In reality, he was. So the intelligence was off. It's not like we didn't think it. We just had it wrong. Is that correct? Yeah. No, I think that's right. And, and remember, I always used to say this about the intelligence business. If you have a thousand-piece puzzle, the intelligence community's job is to give you as many pieces to that puzzle as they can so you can make the most accurate decision. The reality of this is that you don't get a thousand pieces of that puzzle. You maybe get 50 in some cases. You may get 800 in other cases. And so it's it is easy, it's not as easy as it seems to get all the to make the right assessment. And same, same with the Russians, right? Yes, they had the technology. Yes, they had a modernized military. Uh, we did know he was going in, uh, for sure. Remember when the president was running around saying, they're going in, they're going in, yeah. they're going in. Of course, didn't send arms, but just said, hey, they're coming in, they're coming in. Well, that part was all right. And so those intelligence uh, uh, indicators were right. What was wrong is the way they were fighting the fight uh, inside Ukraine uh, which has just been abysmal. I mean, in theory, this is why I, you know, people say, oh, they're going to attack NATO. Brian, I just, I can't see it. They are in such bad shape right now. They're hoping for a victory in Donbass, the eastern region of Ukraine. I think so by May 9th, their big celebration of beating, uh, you know, the Germans in World War II, that they can go back and say, see, we've clean, we've denazified Mariupol. We've uh, held on to the two breakaway republics. Uh, and we're coming home victorious. I think that's what you're going to see unfold over the next few uh, few weeks. Right. And then we try to rebuild that country and then they see if they recalibrate just to come back another day. There's a growing, uh, according to the Daily Mail, uh, there's a growing number of Kremlin insiders who feel Ukraine invasion was a catastrophic mistake and fear that Vladimir Putin will use nukes. 
Uh, the insiders say that Putin is dismissing all criticism by officials who warn of the damaging political and economic cost of the war plan, which they fear could set Russia back for years mid growing military losses and crippling Western sanctions. I look at that and I say, I hope that's true. What does Mike Rogers look at that with your intelligence background and say? Well, listen, I, I think he's got a tighter grip on Russia than the, those in the West would like us to believe. And as a matter of fact, if there, so I was working with someone who does a lot of inside Russian media, state TV monitoring. And what you're seeing is in close Kremlin insiders starting to say, hey, we need to be on a war footing. Forget this operation style event that we did in Ukraine. Let's be on a war footing. What does that mean? That means you go out and you recruit a million man army. You you turn the industrial base over to production of war materials and all of that to gird up. We I think that what that's saying is that it's giving Putin permission to look like the guy that comes back as a rational decision maker saying, nope, I I denazified. I did this. I'm coming home. I think he can survive that at home. I think he can survive it. And then I think they're going to sit down and try to negotiate some lifting of sanctions to give them, uh, you know, based on the fact that, hey, this is punishing my population. You can't do that. I think that's what's going to unfold. If I were a betting man, that's where I'd put my money. But remember, what's happening in Donbass is going to be bloody and brutal and it's going to go 30 days, maybe, maybe longer. Uh, and so we can't just walk away and assume that those things are going to happen. We have to fight the fight we're in. Uh, but I'm looking I'm thinking he's going to survive and he's just looking for a way to, to change the narrative to go back. A couple of things. I just want to bounce off you real quick. Saudi Arabia's crown prince, uh, bin, uh, bin Salman, shouted at, uh, at Joe Biden's NSA director, Jake Sullivan, when he started talking about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and said he would not help the U.S. by pumping more oil and never to bring it up again. Why are we the junior partner with Saudi Arabia? And if you want to ask them a favor, is that the way you approach it? No. Listen, I think they have messed up Saudi and Middle East policy since they stepped in the door. On purpose. Remember, these are the same folks who are are currently negotiating. And by the way, through a Russian mediator, uh, another nuclear deal that won't go through Congress, meaning it can't pass scrutiny. Uh, with Iran. And so, of course, our Arab League partners and led by Saudi Arabia are thinking, you guys are crazy. You're getting ready to do the same mistake, only worse again. Now you come over here with your hat in your hand. Secondly, they're the ones that said, listen, we're not going to help you anymore uh, on the Houthi uh, rebel uh, rebellion on your border in Yemen, uh, sponsored by, guess who, Iran. We're not going to help you. We're going to pull out. We're going we're, we're gonna to talk bad about you and not yeah. assist you in that. And of course, now you walk in and say, gosh, you know what? You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done this. And by the way, would you help me? I don't know. Who who thinks that that's, that's a good way to get to yes, not me? It's unbelievable that we have Russia leading the negotiations with Iran where Russia's going to get paid to take out their enriched uranium. How could we try to isolate and make this country a pariah country while sitting in an adjacent room letting them negotiate with their evil ally, Iran? I mean, this has got Democrats calling press conferences demanding to see this deal. Congressman, are we helpless to watch this deal be cut? And are they just going to do something that can't be ratified and adhere to it? Well, I think they're going to try to do exactly what they did. And a lot of these key players uh, are the same people that did the deal in the Obama administration. They're all the same people. And 
man, did they have blinders on for that. And I on, I watched from the inside on the classified side all of that unfold, and it was as ugly as you think it is about what they were doing, including the intelligence community saying, mm, don't do that, that's bad. <laughs> they did it anyway because they wanted to be able to – I don't know if it's a talking point or I, I don't know what it is. They want the Nobel Prize. I'm not sure. But it none of it will work. I think Congress just has to be adamant about this before it happens. They know where the negotiations are. Uh, the intelligence community is responsible for uh, current and uh, updated intelligence to the intelligence uh, committees. I would use that as the opportunity to try to find a way to get them to stop doing this, including negotiating with the Russians. This is absolute no- – this is crazy. <laughs> you're going to you're going to trust the Russians uh, who already want a kind of an unholy alliance with Iran to do a deal and that's why one of their negotiators the Russian negotiators running around the world saying man did we really clean up on this thing you can't believe what they gave up right well that, they're talking about great. us yeah. <laughs> they're talking about America I know you can laugh but it it keeps from just blowing your top I know Mike Rogers uh former chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee congressman uh, uh on intelligence and of course uh, with the FBI background thanks so much Mike Hey, Brian, always good to be on. Thanks, Bill. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll take your calls. And Jonathan Turley brings us inside the legal aspect of this mask standoff. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Title 42, sir. Are you considering delaying USA Title 42? No, what I'm considering is continuing to hear from my, uh, my, uh, first of all, there's going to be an appeal by the Justice Department because as a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where if, in fact, it is strongly concluded by the scientists that we need Title 42, that we'd be able to do that. But there has been no decision on extending Title 42. I don't even know what that means. He wants to hear from people. He was asked about Title 42 and then said, we're appealing it, which they're appealing the mask mandates on flights. And then isn't his administration the one that's ending Title 42? It's like you put Title 42 and masks in a bubble and shook them up and then he spewed them out. Uh, And by the way, Jen Psaki said... The rumor is that there's so much pressure on him to pull it back from Democrats that he's going to pull it back. And then when brought up, Jen Psaki kind of punted on that. And then the president says, we're considering. What do you mean? Did you make a decision or not? If you're going to reverse a decision, at least come out and say, listen, I might be reversing that decision. It depends on a few factors. So this is the problem. You thought you had experience with President Biden. You might not agree with his policies, but you thought they could execute him. They can't execute mainly because the guy at the top is not making the decisions. That's the only thing I'm led to. Do you feel differently? Well, we're back to one of his decisions, the mask mandate, the fight against court, Jonathan Turley, on the chances of it going through. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, I'm, I don't even play a lawyer on TV, um, so I won't get too much into legal strategy. But what I will tell you is uh, the CDC, obviously, as you noted, um, called for this extension because they wanted to look at more data. So I think we can all expect they're going to continue to want it. The Department of Justice is just waiting for that kind of final 
comment um, to to take action in appealing. They said they would appeal. In terms of when they will appeal, I'll leave that to them to speak to. Uh, that was Jen Psaki dancing around the fact that a judge is ruled in Florida, but they quickly had to say a Trump-appointed judge, and it is, of course, Florida, that putting a, extending the mask mandate to all public transportation, including planes and trains uh, and buses, is is not uh, not legal. The CDC overstepped their uh, their jurisdiction, so therefore it stopped, and it stopped on Monday. And now the Justice Department, on the urging of the CDC, is taking them to an appeals court. What are the chances of them having success? Let's bring in Jonathan Turley. Jonathan, welcome back. Thank you very much. Law professor at George Washington University, Fox News contributor. Jonathan, was this a wise move for the administration, a necessary move? I'm not too sure it was uh, either wise or necessary, particularly if they're only talking about a brief extension. If they go through all this and then just let the mandate lapse, there'll be a lot of question of why they tried to make this catwalk backwards. Uh, You know, this is a a strategy that could be costly. You know, there's no question that the CDC has the advantage on appeal because these agencies are given such great deference in how they interpret their regulations. However, the CDC has racked up an impressive line of losses. They lost on the large employer mandate before the Supreme Court. They lost on the moratorium on evictions. Uh, They lost, in this case, on the trial level. And so they could be creating more bad precedent for themselves. But the real question is, is the powder worth the prize? I mean, the, the problem is that when they got rid of this rule, people spontaneously broke out in sort of a ding-dong, the witch's dead party. And now they're going to have to tell those same people, we'll put the masks back on, the witch isn't dead. The CDC wants to keep the mandate intact, pressing the appeal in the 11th. Now this the court case goes to the U.S. Court of Appeals in the 11th Circuit, which will hear the case and has a conservative bent. Does that matter? Well, it may because people have been rather unfair to this judge. You know, she is adopting a very textual view of these legal sources. She's saying, look, you've interpreted the word sanitation to include the right to impose a mandate across of all, all mass transportation. And she says, well, where do you get that authority? I mean, at some point you become a government onto yourself. And she also noted that the CDC basically didn't offer much. You know, she kept on saying, well, why didn't you ask the public? Why didn't you have any notice or comment, period, on on this rule? And the CDC said, well, we were just using common sense. And the judge said, well, I can't go by common sense. Where's your authority? So those are issues that a lot of judges would likely agree with her on. So You know, the the CDC has the advantage historically, but that doesn't mean that they're going to win ultimately in this case. Also, are you worried about should they be worried about losing because of future things that could be coming down the pike? The next China virus that uh, plagues our shores, they're going to look to implement things and this will be the precedent people go back to. Yeah, because the, the CDC has already created considerable precedent against itself. You know, the, the Justice Department used to be very leery about pushing these types of cases precisely because they didn't want to bring clarity 
to these ambiguous questions when the clarity runs against the government. And that's what the Biden administration has done. They keep on losing and building precedent against themselves and future administrations. Um, So, yeah, I guess we're going to see what's going to happen. The other thing is I'm just wondering about this new trend of not uh, not acknowledging laws that are passed in reverse. Like, for example, the Remain in Mexico clause. I mean, they they say LaGuardia, Boston, as well as San Francisco and Philadelphia in their airports, they're demanding you wear a mask. No one's to ask me to wear a mask. The TSA let me go right through yesterday and Tuesday uh, and they reversed it on, on Wednesday. I'm looking at the Remain in Mexico. The White House has just ignored that. The Border Patrol was basically given instructions. No one remains in Mexico, just a handful of people. So since when can you pick and choose rulings you're going to adhere to? Well, that has been uh, a building trend that is really concerning. You know, President Obama told the Congress and the State of Union that he was simply not going to enforce the immigration laws after they refused to change them, at least as it is. It applied to certain classes of uh, undocumented persons. And we also have seen not just the federal but state attorney generals simply refusing to defend laws. Most recently, the attorney general of Michigan said that she just didn't want to defend an an anti-abortion law on the books. And so you literally have a case where all of the parties are against the abortion law, including the attorney general, and nobody's really arguing in favor of a standing law on the books. Unbelievable. Uh, The other big story, and there's a lot, DeSantis versus Disney. Florida voted to strip Disney of their privileged tax and self-governing status uh, by a score of 23-16. It goes to the House, likely to pass there, uh, and then... They will. It looks like the Disney will have a move then to try to fight this. Here's what Pam Bondi said about the chances of Disney if this goes through, which it's expected to, fighting to keep that status cut twenty two. They may challenge it. They will not be successful. They will not be successful. Disney chose to wade into this debate. These liberal elitists, instead of staying in their lane, which is what entertaining families, making a lot of money for their shareholders. But instead, they decided to attack the state of Florida. They're the ones who said, we're going we're gonna to fight this law. We're going to get this law overturned. So they picked this fight, and they're going to lose you this know, fight. Will they lose this fight? I'm not sure, because under the Florida law, the local residents affected by the change in the district have a right to reject it. So it's not clear that... Uh, Disney uh, is going to lose here. What is more interesting is not what the state legislatures are doing, but what shareholders may do. That's why this connects to the Twitter controversy. That is, for years, corporations like Twitter, Disney have been adopting what are called ESG policies or other woke policies uh, as as part of their, their mission. But shareholders have objected that some of those positions have cost them considerably, uh, particularly with customers. And so these shareholders are saying, look, your obligation is to do what's in the best interest of shareholders, not yourself, not putting your agenda ahead of corporate profits. Well, Twitter is, is becoming this rallying point for this shareholder revolt in which you're saying, look, Twitter's board has, has for years been acting against the interests of the company. They're a communications company against free speech. 
That's like being an automobile company against cars. It, 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 obviously, it has a huge impact, and you can see that on the books. Twitter has not done as well as it could because it's basically written off half the country. It basically has told conservatives that they're not particularly welcome. So the question is, can shareholders go to court or can they take action together to say, you don't, you're not acting in, in good faith. You're not carrying forth your fiduciary duty. Interesting. So we will know this as soon as well, we understand that they've taken the poison pill and trying to dilute the, the, the worth of their shares and stop Elon Musk from buying it. He has not stopped trying to get it. He's trying to maybe team up with some others to make that happen. And there might be another play, and that is somehow organize all those shareholders and get them behind one suit, correct? Yeah, and he may – I think that he can prevail. You know, they can get away with turning down his first offer, but that was a good offer. If, they, if he goes up a little more, if he moves closer to 60 a share, how is Twitter going to be able to justify turning down that type of deal – just because they're afraid that free speech might break out on their site. I mean, they're passing around the poison pills rather than allow free speech to break out. When you think about what's going on, too, with corporate America in particular, going back to the Disney story. So Disney says we're going to do everything we can to overturn this uh, this parental rights bill that Governor DeSantis was uh, is re- uh, fully behind, ready to sign. And that's when it became war. You took a political stance. And remember what happened with the Georgia election law, with all those corporate sponsors dumped out of the All-Star game and Major League Baseball said, we're not going to be a part of this. We're out of it, too. How was that in, in the how was that in the best interest of the shareholders? Well, it's not. And there's an interesting comparison, because when the NFL or the MLB take these stances, they have almost close to a monopoly. Right. I mean, there's not yeah. much of a choice. That's the reason Ford can say you can have any color of, of car as long as it's black. Right. Because you had to get the car from him. Twitter and Disney are not in that position. Now, Disney is unique, but Disney is selling a family product and they're taking a stance that many of their own employees object to instead of just remaining neutral. Twitter is a communications uh, company that's against free speech. (laughs) And so those shareholders are in a much stronger position to say there's no there's no doubt here that you're putting your politics ahead of corporate profits. And keep in mind that that Twitter's board has actually very few shares among them. They don't even have much skin in the game. Yeah, in fact, I thought they had none. I thought that's what uh, Elon Musk said over the weekend. Yeah, I, I actually think Jack yeah, Musk said it. Also, Jack Dorsey, the former CEO, who is no friend of free speech, said the board is completely dysfunctional. Well, if you're a shareholder, that's not exactly welcoming news from the guy that just left as the CEO and is still a member of the board. You sound exasperated, Jonathan. Out of all the cases, this really has you uh, beside yourself because it, there's a lack of logic here. It, it, it does. It just what I don't understand is how people can effectively use other people to to basically fund their their policies. I I just prefer corporations to sell products and to leave politics and agendas to their consumers. You know, I really don't 
you know, very few of us uh, think that uh, Roger Goodell is a good source for morality or ethics. And and so we much prefer that he simply produce football games. Thank you. Yeah. I and mean, the problem is uh, on a micro note, which is probably not a legal note, a lot of this next generation of workers feel as though they want their companies to have this uh, this standard, whether it's environmental or what they deemed as moral or political. And that's what you saw, in my humble opinion, happen with Disney. They had a walkout because of this. And they got mad at their management for not taking a stand for this. So management takes a stand and apologizes for not doing it earlier, not understanding that there would be backlash to that. So I think it's a lot of this generation demanding their managers and the people that hired them be accountable to them. Well, I think that's true. And also what all Disney had to say is that, you know, we are very concerned about our many of our employees find this law to be troubling we want to make sure that you understand that this is a welcoming place and we will support you without saying that the corporation itself is going to sail into the middle of this political lane and, you know, take sides. And, you know, it's you're right. There is this trend that companies are now supposed to associate themselves with these positions. But take a look at Twitter. The board of Twitter has made their company synonymous with censorship, and they're in the business of selling communications. Fire them all. Jonathan Turley, thanks so much. Always great. Thank you. All right, one 408 When we come back, I, I either take calls or find out more to know. I haven't decided yet. Let's see. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. One could argue that much has been, I was critical of Governor DeSantis, still am, uh, during um, the height of COVID. Yeah. But if you really look at the numbers, Florida actually came He's out all He's got a story all, to tell. All right, he has a story yeah, to tell. And the economy is strong. And the economy is strong. Yeah, that's true. You have to admit that Governor DeSantis is a rock star. And the fact is, he's not warm and fuzzy. And he's not going to go on a Democratic uh, stage. He's going to be like, not like Mitt Romney and turn against certain Republican causes. He's been very strong. Uh, and Jared Polis is trying to do the same thing in Colorado and trying to get some attention. It makes me wonder if there's more to know. More to know. Wow, this is stunning. Warner Brothers and Discovery is expected to shut down CNN+. Plus. Chris Lick, the incoming CEO of CNN, member Jeff Zucker had this great idea to do what we're doing with Fox Nation. Sent a memo to Stanford Thursday morning about an important meeting, and that meeting's at today, now, at which time they're supposed to learn that CNN Plus is done. I mean, seeing Jake Tapper in a jean shirt reading books, who would think that that was going to be successful? Come on, admit it. You subscribed just for that. I, you know, and I, I heard it's a tight shirt. <laughs> it's a tight shirt. I also think they have the same people that are getting mediocre if terrible ratings on CNN Plus. So no one thought this out. So I wonder how Chris Wallace feels. I would love to be a fly on the wall when he's hearing this news. He was their big get. Next, Mike Tyson seemed to lose his cool on a plane. A witness on the plane says he and a friend were boarding Tyson's fight. The legend was initially cool with them and with the other passengers. And the witness tells TMZ Mike took a selfie with the guy and then was patient when he was overly excited who kept trying to talk to Mike. 
Eventually, though, we're told Tyson had enough of the guy behind him and told him to chill. When the guy didn't, that's when the witness says Tyson started to throw several punches at the man's face. <laughs> the man who was punched received medical attention and then went to the police. I heard, though, that Tyson didn't even knock him out. Like, wouldn't you think Tyson would knock out a civilian? That is not the point of the story. I was just, it's an interesting question, Obvi- though. Obviously, that's going to be his defense. You're a lawyer. That's yeah. his defense. I punched him, I but didn't knock him out. I knocked him out. Yeah. I just wanted to. I just wanted to give him a concussion. I showed some self restraint, Your By the Honor. Way, didn't you? As I'm reading the story, don't you know how it's going to end? You kept bothering Mike Tyson. You know how that story's going to end, unless you're Lennox Lewis. Next, the best major U.S. airlines have been ranked: number eleven, Southwest; number ten, American. I don't have a problem with American. Number nine, JetBlue. Who should stop flying? What are they doing? Canceling flights, delaying you six hours. Frontier, United Airlines. Frontier is an interesting airline because you kind of meet them in the middle of the tarmac. They don't really have a terminal. But you see Spirits number five, they beat out United, which How is... Would Spirit be above American? Envoy Air? Isn't that a, isn't that a private firm? Uh, Alaska Airlines, that's not going to come in handy for me. Delta's number one, Hawaiian Airlines uh, number two. This was done by WalletHub, compared to nine largest airlines with two regional characters that have at least 1% domestic scheduled. Next, Elon Musk rips Netflix for being too woke uh, and making it unwatchable as shares nosedive. Uh, we don't have time to play the side, do we? I didn't think so. Uh, so Musk continued to rip Netflix. De- they are, their shares are down 20% for the first time in 10 years. By Wednesday morning, the market opened. Netflix shares were down 27%. Maybe I think people have just got too many choices when it comes to streaming. We don't like a lot of their stuff. Agreed. And they're the most expensive out of all the streamers. Right. And you know what people are doing? Don't tell anybody, but they're sharing passwords. Keep it between. No way. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.